Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Are you blessed this morning? I am very blessed this morning. Amen. You know, a wonderful day that we remember what Jesus has done for us and the special things uh, that he's done. And I don't know, there's something about Resurrection Sunday and uh, probably the greatest holy day of the year as we remember what Jesus has done for us. Now, I know what Pastor Jenna said. I know she likes Christmas quite a bit, and I do too, because it reminds us that God sent his son into this world, and that's a key thing for us. But we also recognize the fact that he gave his life for us, and then he rose from the grave. Well, this morning, we're going to look together into the Word of God, and uh, we're going to uh, keep our hearts and our minds joined together on this amazing day. You can imagine what it was like uh, centuries back when the disciples were with Jesus, and then his life is taken, and then comes the first day of the week. And the, the days that led up to that were not easy. They were stressful for the disciples, for his friends, for those who trusted in the Lord. And they would have been under a very difficult time. But yet the disciples of Jesus stood on the precipice of the greatest victory mankind will ever have known or experienced at the resurrection of Christ. It may be that you too have faced a time where there's too many things that have fell apart in your life. Maybe you face some things like in your family that have fell apart, or maybe your health, or maybe a job, something like that that has taken place in your lives. And uh, But because of this, uh, what Jesus has done in our lives, it has made a way for us to have hope again. And we not only have hope in now, we have hope for the future because of the resurrection. And if you look with me in the Gospel of John, in the Scripture, uh, you can run over to chapter 17, and we'll get there in just a minute. But we can see that Jesus had an idea of what was coming down the line when he was going, before he was going to the cross. And because of this, he took, uh, he took some uh, serious time to spend with God the Father and, and in the garden. And what, uh, what did he do at that point really was pray. He stepped back and he prayed and he interacted with the Father. And, and the Apostle John really captured the moment there in John chapter 17. Uh, and in verses 1 to 3, it says this, this, this is what it says. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This was part of his prayer that day before he goes to the cross, and there was no way that Jesus could deny what was going to happen to him. He had been sent by the Father uh, to do a job, something that no one else could do. You know, we, we all understand that. We understand there's jobs in our lives that, that other people can do for us, right? They can, they can walk the dog for us. 
Maybe they can clean our house for us. Maybe they can do those kind of things uh, for us. Maybe they can cook dinner for you, uh, those kind of things. But there are other things that you can only do for yourself, right? You know, if you, if you want to uh, uh, get an apartment, rent an apartment, you have to sign on the dotted line, right? If, if you want to buy a car, whether it's old or new, you've got to sign on the dotted line. There's some things that you just have to do, but, but there are some things that you have to do for, your, uh, for yourself, like taking a test, right, in school. You have to do those kind of things as well. But for Jesus, we find something so special about him that, he gave, had the power to sign off to be able to purchase your salvation. It was a truth that the Bible says, uh, says about him. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We see that out of 2 Corinthians. And, and, and you couldn't do his work for him. Jesus had to do this work, and he had to do this work for you and for me. And here's what he did for us. We understand and we see it over in John 18, uh, that first he was arrested. He was arrested. You can find it here in John 18, verses 1 to 6, and it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. And now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus, knowing that all was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Why? Because of God's presence. I don't think that the officials that came with Judas, the betrayer, were, were really ready to experience the presence of God at that point. They had just, Jesus had just finished, time take, uh, take, uh, finished taking time in prayer with the Heavenly Father, and it was a, it was a special time. He'd offered himself to the Father uh, completely, and now Jesus' anointing was so great that everyone that encountered him drew back and fell to the ground. He was not just another preacher. Even, even, even Judas himself, the, this, this disgruntled uh, disciple, must have been with those who fell to the ground. And Judas had been with Jesus just like Peter and John. We know that Peter and John didn't always understand what God was doing, nor did the other disciples. But, but we do know that it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He may not have understood everything. We know he didn't because even Peter himself had denied Jesus uh, a couple times or so. But, but then Judas, this disgruntled uh, disciple, didn't think he was going to get what he wanted. 
Have you ever been in that place? Maybe you have. You've been in the place where uh, you, you thought things should go the way that you imagined they should, and then you find out that when things go the way you imagined they should, then things are ten times harder, right? And that appears to be what it was with Judas. We don't know all his heart. And, but, but Judas didn't understand the, the fight of Jesus wasn't just a fight simply for justice. It was more than that. We need to remember that in the day that we live in. It was more than just for justice. It was a fight for the souls of mankind. For every human being, he had a desire to bring people to himself. Too many times we misunderstand the point of Jesus' arrival, and we don't, don't give up on the Savior, but come back to the one who heals, the one who forgives, the one who gives life and hope. Don't give up on him. Yet here John shows us that a fight did ensue, and, and Jesus wasn't going to put up with that fight, was he? You can look to see what he says in chapter 18 of John, verses 10 and 12. 10 to 12, it says, Then Simon Peter, who had, sworn, uh, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The, ser the servant's name was Malchus. No wonder, maybe it was the name. I don't know. Uh, but uh, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with his commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. And then they took him away. So the arrest had been made. And Judas here, this, this, this disgruntled disciple here, and the officials got what they wanted, or did they? Did they really get what they wanted? Sometimes when you work hard for something, and finally when it comes together, there's, uh, there can be a sense of satisfaction. But then comes the time when you realize that what you have accomplished is not really what you wanted in the end. Even Judas thought that what he wanted was to see Jesus arrested and punished. And at least he was going to get some quick cash out of this deal, the 30 pieces of silver, which is quite a bit of money in his time. And maybe that's what he could get to be able to recover those years that he had given up serving Jesus. We know from John 12, 6 that, that, uh, that, that here uh, this guy was, uh, the Judas, he was a guy that he had stolen money from Jesus' ministry uh, funds. We know that he did that. That's what the scripture says. They had that idea. And so uh, he seemed to care more about what he could get than for others. And by the time he realized his mistake, remorse overtook him instead of repentance. It could have been a repentance, and I know that you can get into the theology of that, I understand. But we all come to the crossroads in life. Do we simply become a person who is remorseful to the point of hopelessness? Or do we, be, or do we become the person in the crossroads in our life where we respond with repentance, where we respond to turn from our old ways and turn toward the Lord and allow Him to work in our lives. And that is what is so important for us in this world that we live. Are we receiving God's grace through Christ? 
Maybe you know somebody, or maybe it's one of your kids, I don't know, that they do something and they, and they knew that they shouldn't have done it, right? I'm sure that's happened to you. Maybe it's happened to you personally. I don't know. You, you, they knew you sh- shouldn't have done something, and, and they go ahead and do it, and then something unique happens. Then they go back and they tell on themselves, right? And they say, oh, Mom and Dad, this is what I did. <laughs> Uh, and so then they, they tell on themselves, they confess it, and then they correct it. You know, but why? Because the guilt overcomes them. And, and uh, that's just the way it is sometimes with some. And, and Judas couldn't, wouldn't confess and correct it. He hid himself even though he wasn't hidden. We can never really hid, hide ourselves from God, can we? It's just not possible. He let remorse drive him to his demise, but don't ever let your failures or your loss keep you from confiding in the Lord Jesus who gave his life for you. Remember, he didn't give his life for you because you were nice or good. And that goes for 100% of all people. He gave his life for you because you missed the mark, because you sinned, because you went your own direction. The same for me. That's for all of us. That's why he gave his life. So can't we confide in the one who did all of that for us and who loves us and he cares for us? Then we see something else here. Don't ever let your failures keep you from doing that. But now we find that Jesus was condemned. He was crucified on that cross. John 18, verse 28 and 29 tells us this. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And then you can jump on and he says in verse 29, So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? Yet they really never gave him a really good answer. They threw a lot of things out. They threw out some false testimony and stuff, but they just wanted to get him out of the way. That was their concern. They wanted him out of the way. And now we find Pilate, the governor, uh, questioning Jesus for himself, and they go through some things, and, and finally you get to verse 37, and it says this in chapter 18. He says, uh, you're a king then. Pilate said, Pilate, and Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this, the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And just as relative as it is today, it was relative back then. And what is his response? Pilate says to him, what is truth? He meant it just like people mean that today. Because they, the philosophers taught that way back then. I, I, can ju- I can just see Pilate so, probably rolling his eyes, looking at Jesus, the author of life, and saying, whatever. What's the big deal? What, what is truth? What, what is the deal here? And with this, he goes, Scripture goes on and says, And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to re- release to you one prisoner at a time of the pa- at the Passover. Do you, not, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He's referring to Jesus at this point. And they shouted back to him, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. 
And they wanted this guy, Barabbas, had taken part in an uprising. And really, in some sense, that's what they wanted. They wanted freedom. They wanted deliverance from the Rome, Romans. And they wanted to be a free people. And so that's what they're looking for. And they're thinking, hey, this Jesus, he's, he's on the edge. We don't know that he can provide us anything. Yet he was the author of life. So Pilate is ready to do his political duty and to try to keep the peace. And little did he know that right beside him was standing the Prince of Peace. And the people were so intense that they wouldn't even accept Jesus at this point. He, he was innocent. Even Pilate said so for himself. He said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And, and now Pilate was simply going to have Jesus beaten and sent on his way. That's just what he was going to do. At least that's a way he, that way he could lay the problem at rest. Uh, he could just uh, shove it to the side and be done with it. But the Bible says in John 19, verses 1 to 3, it says this, Then Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They were making fun of him, and they slapped him in the face. They were mocking the Son of God. They treated him like a rebel against society, yet they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They, they too wanted peace, but the Prince of Peace was right at their fingertips. He was right there for them, yet they couldn't handle the truth. And Pilate blew Jesus off with this snapping response, what is truth? And they, they couldn't handle the fact that they were sinners who needed someone to save them. They needed a new Passover to life. It was Passover time. And they were celebrating that, and they could have had a new Passover. And for many of us, we've experienced that new Passover, where we pass from death to life because Christ has came into our lives and given us hope that no one else could give to us. And Pilate's politics turned on him. And after they beat the author of life, Pilate said, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Again, he says it, and here is the man. What happened? But the leaders of the day, they shouted, Crucify him. And the worst form of capital punishment was fixing to be underway at this point. But Pilate answered, Well... You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis of, of a, for a charge against him. And, and the Jewish leaders uh, insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. That's who he was. They treated him horrible. And Pilate may have been a secular leader, but he realized that there was something different about Jesus and he was shaken because it says in verse 8, it says, When Pilate heard this, when he claimed to be the Son of God, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Maybe you feel a little bit like Pilate. I don't know. Maybe you feel like him. You're kind of in between. You know, you have to follow the rules and all that in life and the cultural rules and all the things that are up there. But sometimes the truth gets in the way of the rules, doesn't it? The Word of God gets in the way of our rules in this life. And you realize that what some people want is not always right, and you try to get out of it, and then you feel trapped. 
by what they, they want, even though you know it is against God's truth. John 19, verse 16 says this, And finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with the two others, one on each side of Jesus in the, and Jesus in the middle. Here was the very word of God. The very word of God suffocating on a tree for you and I for our sin. And John writes about Jesus, the word of God, in chapter 1, verse 1 of John. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, capital G. And that's the right translation. Now, to keep the officials' actions from cramping their style, they wanted them to die faster, all of them, the, the, all those guys on the crosses. And so uh, in verse 34, it says one of the soldiers, after they broke the other guy's legs the, the, because it causes him to suffocate, and, and then they came to Jesus, and he was already gone, and so they ran a spear in his side. And blood and water flowed. Little did they know that they were fulfilling Scripture. And now we find John giving his own testimony, for he said this about it in verse 35. He said, the man who saw it, it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. John was writing that about himself because he was there and he saw the act. John testified that day, and it was blood and water his heart had stopped. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body. With, with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. And then there's another guy in there, the same as Nicodemus, right? And we heard about him in the book of John chapter 3. And he had came to Jesus and inter, uh, interacted with him at night as well. And, and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes as well, as they would do for burial. And, and, and it says, taking the Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it up uh, with the spices in strips of linen. That's the way they did that. And, and at, the, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden there, and there was a new tomb there in that garden, and it was that in that place that they laid Jesus' body, wrapped as they would wrap them with all the spices. It seemed like everything was lost. Could you imagine what it was like for the disciples at that time? They said, we're done. We're finished. What use is there for us to do anything? And maybe that's the way you feel today. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it's been for you in days gone by, but everything seems like it's been a loss maybe to you. But yet, just because things seem lost to you doesn't mean that, that that's the end, because it is not. There's still hope around the corner for those who will put their faith and their trust in Christ. And they, could, they, they took Jesus' body and, and they, out of deep respect for him, and they, and they wrapped him and they buried him and they treated him like others would have been treated in their demise. But little did they realize the Son of God would rise again. Little did they know. They didn't quite understand it yet. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. Early on the, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, that's John talking about himself. <laughs> and, and, he's, and it says this, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. And I'm sure that they were pretty upset. They were pretty upset, probably thinking that somebody has moved Jesus' body from this place. And why in the world would they have done, uh, why would they have done that? That was not the norm. And, and I'm sure that they were upset. And it says in verse uh, 4 that both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John was saying, I'm faster than that guy ever thought about. And it says in verse 5, and he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, the brash one, the bold one, right? Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He went right into that place. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Nobody would have taken off of his grave clothes. Nobody normally that time. They would not have done that at that point in time. They wouldn't have done that to take that off of his body, especially one that has been buried for three days. Could you imagine what it was like? Think about if you if you take take yourself back to the picture of Lazarus, what happened when he died and he had been buried several days himself, and what did some of his family members say? He stinketh. That's one reason they would wrap him and then they would put those spices around there and everything. They did all of those kind of things on there for a purpose. And now look what John goes on to say here in the next verse, in verse 8, he says, Finally, the other disciple, this is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. What did John see and believe? Well, that Jesus had risen? Well, that's probably part of it. But I'm sure that he would have seen this, the blood-stained linens laying there. They would have been left there, as it says, and they were separated. He saw those, and that was part of what he would have seen as well. And we understand that he, he would have been, uh, there would have probably been some spices left over. Remember, he knew what it was like when Lazarus was raised, right? And they took the clothes, off, the grave clothes off of him. They pulled all of those things away. And then he could get around and do what he needed. And he lived and he moved on for a long time, right? And people didn't like that. Some didn't. Not much different for Jesus as well. Some don't like that. But he rose. And we see that John believed even though he still did not understand. That may be where you're at today. I don't know. You may, you may, you may, uh, uh, you may not understand. You may not quite understand, but still you can believe and you can trust and you can put your faith in him. Jesus was raised. He is alive again. Amen. And it was that night, 
find it interesting, at least in John's gospel, it says, and that, that evening, it says in chapter, uh, it says in the ver verse 19, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He said, look, guys, this is me. The other guys, they, their legs were broken, but I had a pierce in my side. And here it is to show you who I am. And he was alive. Why, why did John tell others about this? Why, why did John tell others about this account of Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, we understand why he did, because this is what he said. He wrote, and he said, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That you would have life in his name. You have the greatest opportunity today ever. The greatest opportunity to be able to place your faith in the one who gave his life for you. We're here in this place to celebrate the resurrection of what Jesus has done for us. We are here to celebrate also that he was crucified, buried as well. And we recognize that in doing that, he brought salvation to those who will put their faith and their trust in him. What you have today is the opportunity to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that by believing, you can have life in his name. Would you stand with me this morning? As we open our hearts this morning, and you with us at home or wherever you're at this morning watching us as well, we understand that Jesus gave his life on that cross with purpose. It wasn't just simply a martyr's death. It was much more than that. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the one who would save us from our sins, gave his life on the cross, and then he rose back on the third day. Did even his own disciples who had been with him in person for three years, did they even understand it all? They did not understand it all. Why is it today that we have to understand it all? Why is it that we try to understand every detail? Because I don't know that we can understand it all. Are we as big as God to understand every detail in this world? I don't think so. But we do understand that he gave it all so that we might have life. So that we could be forgiven and brought into his family. So that we could be delivered and be in his presence so that we may have life in his name. I want to challenge you to take this time to pray. Take this time to pray with me and commit yourself to Christ this morning. Open your heart to him. And if you're online with us or if you're here in person with us, I want to challenge you to say a simple prayer in your heart to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I've missed a mark. I've sinned. I've messed up. And I need you. I need the forgiveness that you provide for me by your death on the cross. And I'm putting my faith in you today. Here is my life.
Would you pray that prayer with me this morning? Would you pray that prayer? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I give my life to you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I know that I have messed up and I've made mistakes. I've missed the mark. I've sinned. And I need you. And I accept you today as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. Thank you for saving my soul. If you're here this morning and with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you say, I made that prayer from my heart and I'm putting my trust in the Lord today. Would you just lift your hand? You could post it. I see those hands. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those. And for you online, you can post on there and say, I said that prayer. I said that prayer this morning. If you're on Facebook, you could do that. Father, I pray for each one here in this place. I pray for each one online. Father God, I pray that you would put your hands upon their lives. I pray that, Father God, that you would allow your grace to work in them. And Father, for those who don't yet have a church that they attend, I pray that you help them to find a good Bible-believing church, Father God, like us. There's some others out there in this, this community as well, Father. I pray that you would just work, Father, in their lives, Father. Father, to you, we offer ourselves to you this morning. With everything that we have and everything that we are, we put our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.